This week, we're going to talk about how in, in, the, in God's plan, it appears to me that as he continued to try to bring us into relationship, starting back in the very beginning, that because man rebelled and pulled away, uh, believing the idea that you can figure out life better for yourself, it's really interesting. Let me talk a little bit about, make a statement about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The words good and evil there mean things that are pleasant, things that are unpleasant. Uh, things that I enjoy, things I don't enjoy. And so basically what the serpent in, tricked him into doing was, you can figure out what's best for you by learning how to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. That kind of sounds like a cool idea to me. <laughs> you know, no pain, no pain. I don't want any pain. But that's unfortunately not a wise way to try to figure out life. Uh, because some things that feel good are not good, and some things that feel bad are not bad. You know, for instance, the best thing that ever happened that anybody ever did was when Jesus went to the cross, and that, was, that felt terrible for him and for the people who loved him. But it was the best thing that ever happened. And th some things that, are, that feel good to us are not good for us, or anybody else for that matter. All right, so... I think human beings are masters. I know I am. <laughs> and you don't have to be taught this. We're, we're masters at trying to uh, figure out life on our own. And it, it seems that we generally won't change our course in life until we figure out the course we're on doesn't work. Right? I don't know why this doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And I, I get motivated to find some change. Now, most of us, it takes a long time. We keep doing it over and over and over again, thinking eventually we'll make it work. Well, that's the definition of insanity, isn't it? All right, so it, look, it appears from the time of the Garden of Eden until the flood that, that came when Noah was here, God just kind of left man to himself. There's no real uh, indication from Scripture anyway about a lot of intervention. He talked to Cain about the problem that he was about to commit and then talked to him later after he killed his brother. Um, but there just wasn't a lot of divine interaction with humanity like prophets and all that kind of stuff prior to the flood. So there was literally 14 generations, the Bible says in, in Luke, I think, chapter 3, from Adam until Noah. And then, of course, they lived almost a thousand years, so they had lots of kids, and their people multiplied over the face of the earth. And you know, a lot of people who say they can figure this out, there might have been about as many people alive on the earth then at the flood as there was, as there, as there is now. All right, so at the end of um, that period, when he basically said, okay, guys, let's see if you can find your own way. Well, during that time, there were those who had faith. You know, Cain's brother Abel was a person of faith. We can read about him in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, where it talks about all these people who had faith. There was a guy named Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam, I think it says. 
that had faith. And God just took him one day. He said, you know, I think I just will take you home with me. And he was zapped out of here like Elijah was, you know, later on in the Bible. So there were people of faith during those first 14 generations until the flood came. Um, it doesn't list all of them in any generation. It just picks up highlights, the Bible does, of this person and that person and so forth. So we don't know how many people were people who knew and trusted God during that time. Uh, just like after the flood, there was this guy named Abraham. He believed God and was reckoned unto him as righteousness. So being accepted before God has always been on the basis of faith, never been on the basis of works. Because the problem that occurred in the Garden of Eden was lack of faith. They tried to not, decided not to trust God and trust the serpent in their own reasoning. All right, so I believe God let man go his own way for a little while. Uh, not so God would see what would happen, but so man would see what would happen. God already knew what would happen. As a parent, one of the harder things I had to learn how to do, now I wouldn't let them kill themselves or really hurt themselves, but sometimes I had to let my kids make poor decisions so that they could experience the consequences of those decisions, so that they begin to realize that, you know, if you do certain things, there's a certain price you got to pay, <laughs> right? Um, write me a note so I can tell them I'm sick today. Why? Well, I didn't do my homework. Well, time to face the music. <laughs> You're going to school. Uh, whatever, you know, just something uh, to teach. We all need to learn that eventually actions and choices have consequences. Um, again, I think we should obviously protect our children from doing really dangerous stuff and really hurting each other and that kind of stuff. But um, my parents figured it out real young, evidently. When we were just little kids, they figured out that those three boys needed <laughs> needed to uh, have a clear view of what life's all about and uh, not bailing us out of debt and that kind of stuff. And we got even older. Uh, they just, now they were kind to us. <laughs> but uh, By the time we left home at about 18, 19, 20 years old, we already knew if we were going to eat tomorrow, it's because we went to work. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, anyway, so I think God left us to ourselves as humanity so that we would learn the futility. There's even scripture that says all of creation was subjected to futility in hopes that man would reach after God. You know, when we began to see how the world came apart at the seams and we couldn't make it work without him, he did that, I believe, to motivate us to, to realize we can't do it without him. All right, so here's a scripture. Uh, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that's pretty bleak. And this is right before the flood. And he said, okay, I've got, I'm going to start this thing over again with one of the righteous guys on earth, one of the guys who trusts me, and his name's Noah. And so he had him build a boat that was huge. And it took him 120 years to build the boat. And the whole time he was building, the Bible says he kept telling the people why he was building the boat. Well, the Lord's going to judge the earth and rain's going to fall out of the sky and flood the earth. No, I thought he was nuts for one thing. Uh, but that's perseverance. That's one of our character traits around here, right? Perseverance. <laughs> to keep after it for 120 years. 
And uh, all right, so God begins after the flood to intervene in human affairs on a more direct basis. He begins to interact with us more frequently. Uh, now that we've seen the, the result of being left to ourselves, he comes in, he begins to send us people like prophets and so forth. And he starts with this guy named Abraham. You know, before that, there was this, this city called Babel, and men and women, the whole of humanity, basically lived in one area, and they began to spread out around that area, but they wanted to stay together. They all spoke the same language. They were building this great city and this tall tower. Well, he says, let's go down <laughs> and see what they're doing. And he said, behold, they are one people with the same language. This is what they began to do, and nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. So come now, let us go out and confuse their language so no one will understand one another's speech. So he did that, and he scattered them all over the face of the earth. Now, when I first began thinking about this years and years ago, it sounded like God was just being ornery. You know, let's just make life hard on them. But then I realized this one part where it says nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. They can do whatever they want to. I don't know if you've ever seen you know, a group of people that decide to do something, good or bad, if they set their mind to it, they can usually pull it off one way or another. Put, put a man on the moon, you know, overthrow a country, uh, whatever. You know, build a building, it doesn't matter. We as humans can figure out how to do stuff. But the great reality for me came one day when I realized that, uh, let me back up here a little bit. Oops, going forward. I realize that we are not here on earth to see what we can do. We're here on earth to show what God can do. You know, when he, he's making us, the Bible says in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So we're here to display his handiwork. And as humans, we're particularly here to display what God is like. Okay, well, when he decided to confuse their languages, it was because I didn't put them here, I think he would say, to show what they could accomplish. I put them here to show what I could, I could accomplish. And uh, so it was a very different direction, very different purpose for why we existed that man came up with. Well, before the flood, that proved to be disastrous, and he wasn't going to let that happen again. So he began to intervene more directly because just like before the flood, the reality is every intent of the thoughts of man's heart is only evil continually if they're apart from Christ, if they're apart from God. And even the good things we do as humans um, are not necessarily good on in the way God would judge them. Um, Satan, for instance, was a high cherub in the uh, order of things in heaven. But he said, you know, I think I'm pretty cool. I'll just go ahead and set my throne up there with God's. Well, he wasn't created to compete with God. He was compa uh, created to carry out God's plan in eternity. He rebelled against that.
And so uh, in the end, I believe without question, we will see that God's plan is best and that it was better to have followed his plan. So people of faith stand out. And one was Abraham and God made a covenant with him. Now, Abraham came from the Bible calls a place called Ur, which was the beginning of the nation of the Chaldees. It's really right at the around the spot where the Tower of Babel was being built in that area of the world. Now, people, because of the confused languages, spread out everywhere, but he stayed right around there. His family did. And uh, out of that area, God reached in, if you will, and said, hey, Abraham, I want... In the very beginning, he was called Abram. God changed it to Abraham later. He said, Abram, I want you to go somewhere with me. Just pack up and let's go. And the Bible says he didn't even know where he was going. He just, okay. And he started following God by faith. So he was a person of faith. And throughout his life, God would say things to him and ask him to do things. And he would believe him. Now, he did some stupid things, too. You can go read about those in Genesis. <laughs> Uh, he didn't always do what was right. Uh, neither did any of the other people in the Bible that are pointed out as being people of faith. You know, David, he was a man for God's own heart. And he committed adultery and murder. And, um, you know, Samson, one of the judges of Israel, no, he was strong and the spirit of the Lord was on him. But he, you know, broke almost all the rules that God gave him to follow. And uh, so being a person of faith that makes us acceptable to God is, is not because we lived a perfect life. Um, what does it say in Ephesians 2? By grace you are saved through faith, and this is not a result of works, lest any man boast. So this faith issue is more important to God. Works will follow. Um, people of faith will, as they grow and mature, perform more works that look godly in nature. But it's not the works that make us acceptable before God, it's our faith. Um, and the covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 was unilateral. And what I mean by that is um, when they finally got down to, he said, okay, Abraham, I'm going to make a promise to you. We're going to cut a covenant. And a covenant was like a contract. We're going we're gonna to agree on something. Well, typically, like if I were to make a contract with one of you, there was something you would have to do and something I would have to do. If you didn't do your part, I didn't have to do my part. And if I didn't do my part, you didn't have to do your part. One of us would break the covenant. Well, when he made the covenant with Abraham, what they would do in that day is they would take an animal and they'd cut it in half. And in Abraham's case, there was like four or three or four of them. They cut the animals in half and the two people would walk between the, the sacrifice and they would say something like this, the Lord do so to me and more if I don't fulfill my promise. Otherwise, I put my life on the line over this deal. Well, when God cut the covenant with Abraham, Abraham was asleep. And he, he saw this in a vision. Abraham did not pass between the sacrifice. And in Hebrews, it says, since God could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you. Surely I will multiply you. So Abraham did not say, okay, Lord, if you do that for me, this is what I'll do for you. God just said, this is what I'm going to do for you. Now, why am I bringing that up? The new covenant through Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is like the Abrahamic covenant. It's just, I promise I will do this for you based on my word and my character, God says. And I swear by myself. 
So what he really was saying is, if I break my covenant with you, Abraham, I will be divided. Okay, now how does that fit with the new covenant? Well, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is given to the new believer. And who is he? Well, he's God. Well, and it's not on the basis of works, and so it's not a two-sided agreement. It's one-sided. God says, because of your faith, I give you my spirit, and you'll, he'll never leave you. And if I break my side of the covenant, you get to keep the Holy Spirit, because that would divide God's nature, God's personhood. And so that's why this is a great picture. Now, why am I bringing that up? Because from the very beginning, a relationship with God has always been possible, only possible through faith, trusting him. Okay, and I don't typically trust people I don't know. So as you get to know, God loves me. A person may say, well, then and he died for me. He was raised for me. Okay, so I trust Jesus. Well, there's still more to know about him. He's kind. He's loving. He's honest. He's He's consistent, he's faithful, and all that kind of stuff that God is. He's always truthful. Well, the more I know those things about him, the more I'm able to trust him. The more I trust him, the more I'm willing to walk out my life by faith. Otherwise, do the things that he would have me do in the moment. Now, okay, so he's moved into this period of time when he's interacting with humans, but it's always on the basis of faith. All through, even the after the flood, people that stood out, you read about them in the Bible, were people who had faith and people who didn't. Like Hannah, she was just really upset because she couldn't have a child, and so she was crying. And, and the prophet saw her and said, why are you crying? Are you drunk? She said, well, no, I'm just upset because I can't have a child. She said, well, this, by this time next year, you'll have a child. The Lord has told me that. And she did. And that child was Samson. Okay. Uh, no, excuse me, Samuel, who went to live with the prophet Eli and became the next prophet, who was Samuel, the great prophet, uh, during the times of Saul and David and all that period. And so uh, people, of, men and women of faith are pointed out all through the Bible. Um, anyway, it would take a while. We could re you, if you want to read about people of faith, go back and read the Hebrews chapter 11 just for a synopsis. All right, so... I don't really have time to get into this, but one of the people in Abraham's day that told us God has a plan that's different was this guy named Melchizedek that David uh, or Abraham ran into. He was a king of Salem, which means king of peace, and his name means king of righteousness. And the New Testament tells us that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Hebrews 12 says, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness when, when God develops that holy character in us. So there's, a, there's been a foreshadowing all along that God was bringing us somewhere and that somewhere was going to be to the place where as a result of faith, we would be accepted to God, by God and then learn to live with him and walk with him by faith that would produce righteous living, which brings peace to our lives. And so this has always been the case. It's always been his goal. And he's he's not going to give up on that. Um, let's see. Already covered that. So what helps me, what this really helps me with is to know that life is not ran, a random 
collection of experiences because it kind of felt that way to me for years like where's all this going what's happening because it didn't look like god was doing anything and nothing made any sense but now as i i get to back off a little bit and say okay god started with a plan he's making us in his image he's helping us see that trying to do it our way doesn't work he's showing us through other people's lives that faith is what matters and he sent jesus to deal with the sin separation problems so i don't have to Try to be good enough. Good, good things come after salvation. They don't cause salvation. Okay, that's just a matter of growing up and becoming mature. So that helps me to see that God had a plan. He's fulfilled it in Christ, and now He's continued to work it out in me through a relationship with Him that's still on the basis of faith. And so it really simplifies things for me to understand that all that weird stuff you read in the Old Testament about crazy things that people did and things, it all had it all had a purpose in showing us something about God's overall plan and how it's it's available to all of us by faith. All right. I will see you guys next week.